special thanks to Imagina Communications, who are the leaders in advertising, promotions, web marketing, public relations for the Hispanic and general markets. Welcome to Latinos Who Thrive, the podcast that celebrates the stories and successes of incredible individuals within the Latino community. I'm your host, Victor Escalante, and I'm thrilled to embark on this empowering journey with you. In a world filled with diverse cultures and remarkable people, the Latino community has left indelible mark on every aspect of society. From art and music to business and politics, Latinos have contributed their unique talents, resilience, and determination to shape the world we live in today. Latinos Who Thrive is a platform dedicated to showing the remarkable achievements, inspiring journeys, and unwavering spirit of Latinos who have thrived in various fields. Each episode will dive deep into the lives of extraordinary individuals, exploring their triumphs, challenges, and the lessons they've learned along the way. So if you're ready to be inspired, uplifted, and empowered by the stories of extraordinary Latinos, join us on this exciting journey. Latinos Who Thrive is here to remind us that success knows no boundaries, and when we embrace our roots, our dreams can soar to unimaginable heights. Today, we do a deep dive into finances and investments with certified financial planner, Nestor Vargas, with Green Mountain Planning. So let's get on with it. And now we have Nestor Vargas with us. Nestor, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Nestor, tell us uh, where you're originally from and the through line to how you became a financial planner. Yeah, Victor, uh, I was born in Colombia, um, in, uh, South America, and I came to the States when I was seven years old. I grew up in, well, I was born in Bogota, but I grew up in a small town called Villavicencio, where all the farming uh, happens. And um, my kind of story with money is, is I think, very interesting. Uh, my parents were merchants in Colombia, and so when I was growing up there, my parents um, had money, right? There was a lot of money happening. This is the mid-80s. There's a lot of money moving through Colombia. They owned a small bodega where they specialized in selling cosmetics, like beauty products to people. And they were doing really, really well. Uh, but as the economy turned south, um, they struggled. They struggled. And so as a little kid... I saw them being in a really good, strong financial situation. And then because of a lack of planning, not have anything to show for um, after the economy really took, took, a, a, um, you know, took a hit. So I came to the States when I was seven years old. I left them behind and came to the United States and lived with my grandma and my aunt. And uh, through that process, you know, I, I had time to really think through what I saw happen. And, and as a little kid, just thinking back ab about that experience where I just remember my father waking up in the middle of the night, uh, worried on how we were going to pay the bills and, you know, waking everyone up. And I just remember, I still have that, that vivid just scenario in my mind. Um, and I just remember saying, I don't want to ever feel like that, right? And so when I came to the States, I made a commitment that I was going to learn everything I could about personal finance, become a subject matter expert in that area. And that's how I became a financial planner. That's kind of really the motivation of why I you know, want, uh, want to deal with money and why I became an expert with it. So how did you get into the financial planning field? 
uh, you know, at school, I went to college. Uh, um, went to college and in, in major in, uh, in finance. So I got a business administration degree. And uh, there was three different tracks you could get. You could do accounting. You could do marketing. You could do finance. Fin- finance just uh, really sounded exciting to me. So I went through that track. I graduated college and started working at a small bank at the point in time. It's 2008 when I graduated. So, you know, we had that great financial uh, recession. I don't know if you guys remember, you know, how people were losing their houses left and right. Banks were failing. So it was really hard for me to really get a job. So I started working at a, it's just at a, at a you know, bank where you walk in and get loans. And I did that for about three or four years. But I, um, you know, quickly realized that banks, uh, the way they make money is uh, by lending, by lending people money, by making interest. And so what I quickly realized is that I was putting people into debt. So um, I just didn't feel like that was the right avenue for me any longer. And I started working at Fidelity Investments after that. So I left the bank, started working at Fidelity Investments. I spent about eight years at Fidelity Investments. Where I learned a ton. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that was kind of my journey about uh, becoming a financial planner. Now, you have been in this field long enough to have a good understanding and a good feel for, and as a matter of fact, you become a subject matter expert as, as a certified financial planner. Mm-hmm. In general, just in general terms, what have you noticed about Latinos and wealth management? <laughs> I know that's a deep subject, but, but yeah. uh, give, us, give us a summary statement and we can go from there. Okay. So let's talk about statistics because I think people like numbers. You know, we all know, we all know, but if most know, it's there's 62 million Latinos here in the United States. That's a ton of people. And, and I'm, I'm just so glad that our community is growing and we're becoming stronger. But only 5% of Latinos use the stock market to create wealth. So the statistics tell us that Latinos are not in the game like everyone else is. And what I've noticed is that Latinos are more prone to either go buy a home, you know, invest in real estate or start a business than they are investing in the stock market. And I think there's a lot of distress in the stock market, a lot of lack of knowledge. So it's much easier for someone to understand how to buy a house or start a business than than they feel comfortable, you know, uh, investing in the stock market. Let me tell you where my mind goes with that comment. Yeah, I had a roommate that he played the the stock market. He he became a day trader. He got so much into the stock market that he set up uh, his own computing system in the house <laughs> and he was uh, directly plugged into Wall Street. And again, he was a day trader. And at the end, he lost uh, about a quarter million dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... That's about as far as my knowledge in the stock market goes. So why don't you go ahead and enlighten us uh, a little bit more about how people can play the stock market? Yeah, so uh, thanks for putting that context. I think there's two ways that you can view the stock market. You can view it as plain gambling, or you can view it as an investor. And there's two; those are two major differences that... Um, have complete different outcomes. When you are a day trader, when you are a gambler, when you're playing the stock market, what you're trying to do is be smarter than the stock market in, in general, be smarter than the institutions that have thousands of analysts and people working for them. And that game always ends badly. There's just, the stock market is is very efficient in the way that it does things. And so 
the fact that someone can think that they can beat or, or you know, trade the stock market, basically what that means is that you're going you're gonna to pick a stock, you're going to you think that the stock is going to go up, so you buy it. And then not only do you think that you know when the good time to buy it is, but also when the good time to sell it is. Um, and it's just, it just doesn't work. So if, if you're trying to get some excitement, um, I would say go gambling. It's pretty, probably your odds are better off than, than playing the stock market. But investing is very different. Investing it requires time. It requires uh, patience. It requires uh, discipline. Uh, let me kind of use an analogy. There's a reason why insurance companies are willing and able to insure uh, your car or your home uh, or your health is because they spread the risk among many, many, many different people and have experience and have knowledge and insight to know how many of those people may get in a car accident, how many of those people may have a claim on their home, how many of those people may have a claim on their health. And they know that their odds are going to be on their favor, that they're going to collect more premiums and they're going to pay out. And so when you invest in that way, um, taking those principles, that's called diversification. So instead of buying one or two stocks, uh, you buy hundreds, if not thousands of different companies, different sectors, uh, different industries, and you're spreading that risk around. And so that's the first thing is that you want to make sure that when you look at investing, that you're not betting your money on any single company, sector, CEO, board of directors. Um, we want to spread our risk. This actually second, has its roots in the Lloyds of London in England, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, they're still around, actually. They they're, they actually are, Lloyds of London are still to this day, uh, they, they insure companies like Fidelity and Charles Schwab, some of the big, big companies. You're right, Victor. Which in the old days, they insured uh, boats, sailboats, ships, ships <laughs> that, that could go down in any storm full of all kinds of uh, valuable goods. That's how that's how the insurance started, actually. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so we're talking about spreading the risk. Uh, and mm -hmm. what else do we need to understand about investments? So, uh, you know, we talked about spreading the risk, uh, and I talk about discipline and and time. Those are the two other uh, factors that go into investing. Um, when I say time, is because I wish this was more of a, a YouTube channel so I could show some charts. So I'm doing my best to kind of explain this to you. Um, there has never been a seven-year period, okay, a seven-year period where a portfolio of 60% stocks and 40% bonds, which are uh, more stable than stocks, has lost money, okay? Never, never been a period. And since the beginning of the stock market, tracking it back to the Great Recession, the S&P 500, which were the 500 largest companies in the United States, have never lost money. So um, th there are absolutely times where the stock market will be below where you bought it. And that is because of our, how our economy works. Our economy goes into uh, its three cycles. You, know, kind of, you come out of a recession. So think about coming out of a 2007-2008 recession. And the economy booms and it kind of stabilizes. So that's kind of mid-cycles where things stabilize. And then we go into a recession. That's the third phase of the economic cycle. So if we have time for us to weather that later part of the cycle, which is the recession, um, then we are putting ourselves in a position where we won't necessarily be having to sell our investments at the, at the wrong time. 
And discipline, discipline is um, very key. I'll, I'll give you an example right now. We're recording is June of 2023. And uh, if you look at the stock market in general, and maybe you kind of parse it out a little bit, tech stocks are just doing phenomenally well. I mean, there are tech stocks that are up uh, over 100% this year alone. And so um, a lot of people get kind of this FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And if they start looking at investments, they're like, well, I'm going to choose the investments that are doing the best. And they probably might end up in investments that are just overly priced. They've been just, they've grown too much. The valuations are too high. So having discipline in the way you invest and making sure that you're uh, diversified, that you're not just looking at the performance of an, of an investment, but also looking at the actual fundamentals. Um, so discipline is really, really important in time. So you don't want to invest money that you need within two years. You want to invest money that has a five plus year time horizon so you can weather the storms. So Warren Buffett, probably the most famous, if not one of the most famous investors. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and channel him and tell us how he did it? Since I'm sure you've studied his uh, investment strategy. Oh my gosh, Warren Buffett, how he did it. Um, I, I honestly, I think this this could be a full episode on on how Warren Buffett did it. Um, there's one thing that I'll say about Warren Buffett that I think our audience can can really uh, take away. He said that an investor, kind of an investor that's not highly sophisticated, that just wants to grow their money would be very well positioned if they bought 90% of their money in the S&P 500 and 10% in bonds. And so what he's what he's stating, and he actually is even challenged, by the way, he's even challenged this hedge fund guys, right? The, the guys that invest money for the ultra wealthy, that that mix that I just gave you, 90% stocks, 10% bonds, and I'm saying 90% stocks in the S&P 500, would do better than the hedge funds. I think if if I if I think about Warren Buffett and I think about our audience and what they can take away is that that even Warren Buffett, which is one of the smartest investors uh, known uh, in in the past, I would say eighty or ninety years, uh, believes in in this approach. Okay, so now let's get granular and get down to practical applications of that. So let's take a, yeah. most Latinos are going to be either that are listening to this podcast are going to be a younger demographic, just for your information. Sure. I looked at the numbers in our audience uh, indexes at about uh, 24 year olds to about 35 year olds. Okay. So these are people that are working in jobs or they have mm -hmm. their own business and so they're starting out in life. So what do you recommend that they do? They're probably going to be middle class or, again, uh, lower class, just starting out making their name, making their fortune. So what do you recommend that they do? Yeah, well, um, definitely you're going to be business owners. I mean, uh, <laughs> the Latino community is one of the grow fastest growing demographics in creating businesses, which I, I love. I love that. Uh, as a business owner, I can understand the joy. It comes from that. But what can I say to those individuals? Here's one thing that I, I like to start with. Um, have an emergency fund. And I know an emergency fund is not sexy, right? Like you've never heard anyone get rich of an emergency fund, but that is so vital because it gives you the stability and the foundation to then go invest in riskier investments and investments that are more growth oriented 
Because the last thing you want to do is say, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and start investing right now and not have an emergency fund. And what happens? You know, you blow a tire, your kid gets sick, uh, you have to, you know, you have to pay medical bills. And now you're selling your investments at the wrong time. Maybe they're below what you bought them for. And now you get this bad taste in your mouth about investing. So definitely have the fundamental and emergency fund. The second thing is that I, I want the audience to know that technology has made investing very easy. It's made it accessible to everyone, including that person that's just starting out, that was starting out a business. And so you can actually go online and start investing with as little as $100. So if you are listening to this, maybe you have uh, two, three months worth of, of your essential expenses. And when I talk about essential expenses, food, utilities, rent, you know, things that you have to pay every month, two to three months of that saved, then now you can go into the stock market. And instead of playing the stock market like Victor, like your uh, college buddy did, start investing. And the easiest ways to invest is invest in, in investments that allow you to own hundreds of companies. And those are called either mutual funds or ETFs. Uh, and that's, that's just a really great way to get started in, in investing. Okay. Uh, according to one statistic that I read uh, sometime back, most people don't have $400 in disposable income. Yep. That's sad. The richest country in the world to have that kind of statistic so I get the point that you need to have an emergency fund to be able to pay for expenses for three months yeah. and not have to worry about how you're going to survive. And then once you have your survival uh, budget, then you can start thinking about investing. Okay. So yeah. what other tips or advice can you give our listeners uh, in order to build wealth? Okay. Uh, I love that. Thanks for putting that into perspective. Um, I think that the best investment you can make in life is in yourself. So if you find yourself in a position where you can't save, then then you have to ask yourself, what actions can I take to improve my financial situation? Is it going back to school? Is it as simple as maybe just reading a couple of books on the industry that you want to get in is that maybe you're reaching out to Victor and saying, Victor, like, here's my situation. And, and you've obviously been successful at what you want to do. How, how can I channel some of Victor's, um, you know, uh, knowledge to, to get ahead. And so I think personal development, um, is going to be key to get out of that position and be able to create wealth. Cause you know, I say this, like I came to the States with Seven years old, I didn't speak English. I, I didn't, right? And most of our uh, gente que está escuchando esto probably can, can, can relate. Um, so if I did it, anyone can do it, right? It just requires the discipline and requires you being able to channel your future self and say, hey, where do I want to go? Who do I want to be? And this just reverse engineer that. And books and people and programs can really do, do a great job. So Latinos come here, especially the immigrants, come here with nothing yeah. uh, other than the clothes on their back. And I've seen them here in Houston, maybe in your area too, build multi-million dollar companies. That's yeah. the exception. Most of them just go to work, find a job, and raise a family, and, and then that's the end of their life. 
So you definitely have to have the mindset. You can build wealth and you can have it all, but you need a, a strategy. You need a plan. Years ago, this is before your time, I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> I read a book uh, by Vanita Van Caspel, and she said that the number one reason why people are either dead or dead broke at age 65, the age of retirement, according to the actuary tables, uh, mm -hmm. something like, uh, uh, I want to say like over 90% of people are either dead or dead broke at age six, 65, the richest country in the world. because they didn't have a plan. Mm -hmm. They just yeah. went through the motions of living, but that's not enough. You need a plan on the rich life and whatever that means or looks like to you. We're not talking about being misers because that's another negative connotation that people have in that you have to save every uh, penny and you cannot enjoy the mm -hmm. earnings of uh, the fruits of your labor uh, in, the, in the present, but you always have to be saving for the future. So talk to us about that. Victor, um, you know, I think you're, you're going down the path of something that is, has been really top of my mind over the past three years and is really being aware that your, your subconscious, which is a part of your brain that is the most powerful side, um, you know, your conscious it can, can only do so much for you, but your subconscious is constantly working. You have to channel that in. And there's a book called Be Your Future Self now by uh, Ben Benjamin Hardy, an amazing, amazing author. Uh, for those who are listening to this and are interested in, in really being cognizant and, and wanting to think about it, a plan, that's a great book. It gives a lot of actionable items. Why don't you um, go ahead and, and give us a summary of what the book entails? Because... Uh... I've heard of the book. I've never read it, but so go ahead and tell our listeners what yeah. what people can expect to get out of the book. Well, so here here's here's where where it all starts, uh, Victor. One of the things that we need to understand as human beings is that personality is not permanent. Doesn't matter what people have told us or what you have seen in life. You can become whoever you want. You can change your personality uh, to to really mold yourself to be that new phase of, of your chapter, right? Uh, there's a book called Personalities and Permanent by uh, ben, uh, ben Hardy as well. But the future self uh, methodology basically is that you take time to reflect and say, who do I want my future self to be? Right? Uh, for an example, for me, I want to make sure that I can semi-retire my wife so she can take care of my two little kids uh, so that she, the kids can have, my, can have you know, mom around like I did when I was a little kid. Um, and so I think about that future self, Nestor, and I think about how much money I need to make and, and uh, you know, where I want to be living, and then I'm taking action right now to live that life. So future self is really all about, and it's this very simple thing, stop living in today, stop allowing the TV or the radio to control you, because that's what advertising is. If you don't have a plan and you don't have a clear meta or a goal, your goal becomes everything around you. And so that's what really a future, future self methodology is, Victor. Okay. You're listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Nestor Vargas with Green Mountain Planning. We'll be right back.
Are you looking to take your career to the next level? Do you want to stand out from the crowd and make a lasting impression? Then look no further. Introducing the ultimate game changer, the Escalante Public Speaking Mastery Course. In today's competitive world, effective communication is the key to success. Whether you're a seasoned professional or just starting out, the ability to speak confidently and persuasively is a game changer. I know, because I have lived through it. That's why the Public Speaking Mastery Course is here to unlock your full potential. The comprehensive course is designed to transform your public speaking skills from good to extraordinary. I will be guiding you through a step-by-step -step process, helping you overcome stage fright, craft compelling messages, and deliver impactful presentations. When I took the Dale Carnegie School of Public Speaking and Human Relations, it changed my life and I will be able to help you do the same. My career in journalism and training and development was built on having the skills to be able to communicate to a team or thousands. I hold nothing back. I will give you all my trade secrets and how you can thrive and crush it. Imagine walking into a boardroom and captivating your audience with your powerful presence. Picture yourself confidently leading meetings, delivering persuasive pitches, and commanding attention in every interaction. With a public speaking mastery course, you'll be equipped with the skills to excel in any professional situation. If you're ready to take the step and supercharge your career, enroll in the public speaking mastery course today. All the information and the cost is in the show notes. Don't let fear hold you back. Unlock your potential, elevate your career, and become a master of public speaking. Go to the show notes to register today to secure your spot in the next session of Public Speaking Mastery Course. Public Speaking Mastery Course, empowering professionals, transforming careers. Act now and make a lasting impression in every opportunity that comes your way. You will be glad you did and you will thrive for the rest of your life. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Nestor Vargas with Green Mountain Planning. Which uh, I am totally uh, on board with that, in that uh, before you can become the person you want to be, you first have to imagine it. Then mm -hmm. you have to believe it. Then you have to start working towards it. Mm -hmm. It's not name it and claim it. Imagine it and then work hard to get it. Yeah, but I think, I think you said something that was really important. Believe. Believe, believe. You have to believe in your future self. You have to believe that you're going to get there because that journey is going to be hard, right? It's going to be full of obstacles. But if you have that belief and you have that clarity and you journal and you write it down and you look at it every morning and you say, yes, this is where I'm headed, then you have that clarity and you have that passion and you have that discipline to continue to you know, work hard and, and make, make whatever you want out of yourself. I mean, we live in this country. That's one thing that that we have going that our people in Mexico who live, who are so stuck in Mexico or Colombia or wherever don't is we are in this country that is full of opportunities. And if we can use all the resources, absolutely, we can make it. In your experience, what is it that keeps people from believing it? Man, a child, childhood trauma. Yes. Victor, right? Negative associations to money, such as uh, money is dirty or the only people that have money are the crooks. Yeah. Or, or a parent, you know, telling you you're not worth, you know, you're not worth anything. 
so we we grew up and we we grew up and and we create memories and those memories become our personality uh and if we don't stop to think about what how we see ourselves then we really truly don't know how we view ourselves and if we don't know how we view ourselves then we can't change our personality we can't change um that that mentality so yeah it's definitely childhood trauma and growing up that uh, keeps us from from believing and succeeding in your case uh, you were exposed to childhood trauma associated with stability and money yeah you channeled that trauma in order to never go through that again as an adult once you became of earning age other people would use that as an excuse yeah victor um you know you can either get um you can look at your past as a win or or you can look at your past as something that happened to you or for you you choose no one's going to choose that you choose and if something if you choose to be the victim the mentality to have that victim mentality is like oh well you know I, I don't speak english that well so i i can't you know can't really start a business or you know i I don't know anything about investing, so I'm not going to uh, invest. That's that's a victim mentality. That's okay. that something happened to you. But it, what can you say? Is What if you said, hey, um, I don't speak English that well, but uh, what can I do to improve? What do I need to do to speak English a little bit better? That's something that happened for you, right? It happened for you. And so that mentality of, hey, stop thinking about something that happened to me instead of saying something happened for me changes the way you look at life and it really puts you in a way where you know you start moving away from that trauma start moving away from that past you reframe your past which is really important you got to reframe your past in order to move forward victor i think you would agree okay all right again let's get down into practical terms okay so you don't need a lot of money to get started with something as little as a hundred dollars a month you can buy mutual funds okay yeah what else can you do? In terms of growing wealth? Yes. Victor? Um, so that you can have a nest egg that you can then start thinking about how to maximize the return on your investment and how to do, how to go to someone like you for financial planning, especially when you factor in taxes and an estate that is more complex that requires someone with your expertise. So you're saying, uh, and I just want to make sure I understand your question, Victor. Your your question is, what other steps can someone take besides investing to yes. create their? Okay, yeah. So I'm going to answer this in the context of what I see a true, you know, what a strong financial plan really requires. Okay. Um, and so you know, we've talked about investing. We talked about saving. That's really important. The other part that is really important, especially for you know your your audience, which you know you said it tends to be a little younger, is that we have to protect our family, and we have to protect our niños, our niñas. We have to protect our esposas, esposos, and you know Latinos are kind of they're not uh, someone who typically buys life insurance. Um, I don't know if it's because they think that if you know if they pass away that you know the wife is going to go get another guy and that guy's going to you know, enjoy their money. But um, protection is really important. And so if you don't have enough wealth, then you have to ask yourself, well, what can I do right now to protect my spouse and my kids if I no longer can bring money to the table? And that's through life insurance. And I want to make sure that the audience knows is that 
nine times out of 10 or 99% of the time, buying term life insurance is the way to go. So don't get all sold on, you know, this fancy stuff that is being sold to our people. Term life insurance is the way to go. I'll give you guys an example. I am 38 years old. I have $2 million policy to my name that costs me $100 a month uh, to pay. Not very expensive, right? So definitely making sure we take care of our kids and our family while we're creating that wealth is um, really, really important. I, I want to pick your brains here because you you bring up a very important topic for Latinos in, in buying insurance. What I'm seeing in the marketplace right now is a lot of companies that are starting to recruit a lot of Latinos mm -hmm. to sell life insurance. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and I've been a licensed insurance agent. Uh, I mm -hmm. used to be, I'm dating myself here, but I used to be a licensed agent with Merrill Lynch. Mm -hmm. And so you and I know that their uh, life insurance agents are not responsible to do a fiduciary uh, process in making sure that you are properly insured and not loaded with uh, excessive insurance, the wrong plan for you that is going to benefit the agent to make a good commission, but not necessarily looking out for your best interest. So why don't you go ahead and, and talk to us about that and why buying insurance from someone as yourself would be a better decision than just anyone that, that from your cousin that is now in the insurance <laughs> business and, and selling insurance uh, because the practice is Churn them and burn them. Recruit yeah. <laughs> as many as many people as you can and sell all their uh, friends and family. And then once they peter out, recruit some more fresh blood. So why don't you go ahead and tell <laughs> us about that? Yeah, Victor, uh, thanks, thanks for clarifying that. Um, so I think the main point that I want the audience to understand here is that the there are many ways individuals can act in the uh, finance space. So um, you can either be an insurance agent, you can be a stockbroker, um, and then you can be a, a fiduciary. And an insurance agent and a stockbroker has one duty, and their duty is to um, really to make money for either the insurance company they work for or the broker they work for. In fact, if a broker were to say, hey, you should go buy this other product uh, that is not part of the suite that the broker they work for actually sells, they can be fired. That's called selling away, right? Which is crazy. They can get fired for telling someone to go buy something that's better, that's better for them. Um, so when you're working with someone, um, having the ability to work with a fiduciary is really key. Um, now, the word fiduciary gets thrown out a lot. There is no regulatory body that actually says, yes, you can call yourself a fiduciary or not. So that makes it really difficult. The only way that you'll know if you're working with a true fiduciary is if they actually are willing to sign a fiduciary oath uh, when they're dealing with you. So when I sign a contract with my clients, I take a fiduciary oath. Now, there's another step above and beyond that, whereas you can work with people who don't sell product. 
I don't sell product. I'm called a commission-free financial advisor. So I don't sell insurance, but I absolutely tell my clients, here's the amount of insurance you should get. Do you have the right auto policy? Do you have the right home policy? Do you have the right life insurance policy? Um, so with that said is when, if, if you're, if you're looking for help, um, you know, make sure that you are working with a fiduciary who's willing to sign an oath. And two, like I said, 99% of the time, you're not going to need anything else except term life insurance. Term life insurance basically says, hey, I need you to insure me for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. That's called a term. And that's it. Okay. Now, explain to our listeners what a fiduciary is. A fiduciary is someone that is supposed to take an action on your best behalf. So it's always someone who, when they recommend something, it is something that is because it's going to put you in a better place or because it's going to, it, because that solution is better than the other solution. That's, that's what a, a fiduciary is. Really someone that is, has a legal obligation to act on your best interest. Okay. Another thing that I want you to comment about is I see a lot of uh, predatory and a lot of deceptive practices in recruiting Latinos to sell life insurance. Yeah. And the point that I want, I want to make here is that you are an authority on this because you are responsible for being a fiduciary representative, representing your customer's best interest. And I was even approached by life insurance agent out of California that I w was a former uh, media personality. And mm. she was trying to establish rapport with me by using that position because I've, I worked in media myself. Right. And of course, I could see right through it. She just expected that she was going to recruit me to sell for her and create pyramid uh, uh, scheme here to recruit other people because there's a lot of that that is happening in the insurance industry. Yeah. I saw it uh, first with the A.L. Williams organization that eventually they were sold to one of the main brands that are now in the insurance business. But what I want to caution listeners, and that's the message that I want you to take away is be very careful with the advice that you take and the products that are pitched to you because they don't have a responsibility to give you what you need. They have a license to make money off of you. So talk to us in general terms that people can be cautious and ask the right questions when buying insurance. Uh, simple. I think it's, it's very simple. Um, look, an insurance agent can't, cannot be a fiduciary. It's impossible. Their position as an agent to the insurance company does not allow them to be a fiduciary. So you already need to know that you're going into that transaction without the, the ability to have that fiduciary oath. If that agent is recommending something different than term, then you have to ask why. Why is this better than um why is a product that is being pitched to you better than, than term? Here's what they're going to do, okay? They're going to go ahead and punch in a bunch of numbers into a piece of software that is going to have all these rosy uh, projections of guaranteed growth, not losing money, and tax-free, and blah, 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 blah. But these are all projections. They are based mostly on really 
outrageous rates of returns of interest that typically will not come to fruition. So as someone who has been in the industry for 10 years, who is a certified financial planner, who went to school for finance, if I won't buy anything in the whole life space, universal life insurance, whole life insurance, then why would you? Okay. Um, so, so the question is simple answer, Victor, is if someone is pitching you something else in term, then you really need that there's a red flag. You need to know why. There's only a few cases where whole life insurance actually makes sense. And that typically is for the ultra wealthy. Yes. Because you can, you can actually uh, use your life insurance as your own, becoming a, your own bank. You can buy a lot of whole life insurance, but again, that's for the wealthy. We're talking about putting in uh, $100,000 to $200,000 of whole life uh, policy, but you can actually borrow against that money and do all kinds of other sophisticated uh, transactions. But again, that's not for our listeners, okay? And that's why, I'll, dear listener, I want you to listen very carefully to what Nestor has just told you, is buy term insurance. Term insurance means that company, the insurance company is betting that you won't die. And they're willing to give you a, a policy based upon actuary tables, which means that uh, according to history, a certain number of people, uh, let's say 20-year-olds, are going to die within a year. They know those numbers, and they know that at 20 years old, you're a very good risk. And so the rates are going to be relatively inexpensive for you compared to someone that is 65, where uh, at age 65, there's going to be a lot more people dying than 20-year-olds. And so obviously, the rates are going to be higher because now you're betting against the insurance company that you won't die, and the insurance company is saying, oh, yes, you will die. And so a riskier uh, customer, and so we're going to raise your rates. So buying term is a game that you play with the insurance company, and you're going to get the lowest rates because if you die, they pay your family the face value of the policy. But if you don't die, then they don't owe you nothing. But at least your family has the peace of mind that if something had happened to you, your family would have been taken care of, okay? And you don't need to be using insurance as an investment because it's not. Insurance is, is not an investment unless you're very wealthy. Yeah, Victor, I think you nailed it. And, and even if you have two, $300,000, which I have, and I don't invest that way, there's only a very limited amount of situations where whole life insurance makes sense, 99% of the time, it does not. It doesn't matter how good the projections look that they're showing you. It's just, it, it doesn't. Take it okay. from an expert. All right. Talk about a burial policy uh, because our demographic is young. They may have parents that they, they may need to buy a burial policy. Is that a good decision or is that a bad decision? Well, Victor, that's what I say. 99% of the times a whole life policy doesn't make sense. Okay. Uh, a burial policy is it's a whole life policy. Yes. Right? Uh, a burial policy is something that is for when or when something happens, not if something happens. We all know we're going to die, unfortunately. So when we die, if you buy a burial policy, it's going to take care of you know your, your father, your mother, your grandma, uh, your abuelita, your tia, whoever you want to insure. Yeah, I mean, sure. 
I mean, we're talking about a ten, fifteen thousand dollar uh, policy. I, I don't think there there is a right or wrong answer there, Big Dota. Um, if you come if you come from a really really modest family where you just you know ten, fifteen thousand dollars is something that you know you can't think that your family could raise to give your your family member a proper burial, then yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, this saves the headache of having to have bake sales and and barbecue sales to bury somebody. <laughs> I mean. This is not a laughing matter, but sadly, that's yeah, the situation yeah. that we find ourselves in. No, así es, Vector. Sí, la verdad. Now, mm -hmm. so, Nestor, what can you offer our audience if they are interested in finding out if they're on target for building wealth or whether they need some advice or whether they have the right uh, investments or the right policy? Uh, what can you offer our audience? Victor, do you have a Facebook or, or a group where people can come and ask questions? Uh, I do, but uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, because this is a topic that is so important, is yeah. I'm willing to do, one of my uh, advertisers mm -hmm. has just launched a, a platform that is really, really cool, and it's about to, to launch uh, next month, the start of next month. And I'm willing to do like a town hall meeting to where uh, I will uh, send out an invite to all our listeners and they can connect and basically they can ask you any question and you will be subject matter expert at this forum so that people can ask you any question that they want and, and we can get to know each other and this will be first of, a, of its kind. I've been thinking about doing it now and uh, since you're offering it, Uh, yeah. to do this for our audience, uh, I think it would be the perfect timing. I, I love it. Uh, building community is what we need to do uh, as Latinos. They are, I can't tell you how many Facebook pages I see of, you know, white people who openly talk about financial questions. There, there is no community like that. And so we need to, to really break that barrier barrier. I, I would love to be part of that. And on top of that, just so we can actually uh, add a little sweetener to it is out of that forum, uh, Victor, you can choose one person that will have a one-on-one -on -one consultation with me for an hour free of charge. Okay. Uh, I charge $300 an hour. This will be free. I'm not going to try to sell you anything. Realistically, probably won't work together long-term. Uh, so I want you to come in thinking, I don't want you thinking that I'm selling anything, but yes, I will do a free hour consultation with whoever you choose from that forum. And let me tell you, uh, uh, listeners, dear listeners, uh, that, that what Nestor is proposing has value because this gentleman has gone to school to become a licensed financial planner. And, uh, and so he's not trying to sell you anything. He, he is a paid uh, consultant to tell you what you need to do. Just like I have uh, clients that they pay me to consult for them and to give them the best advice uh, when it comes to running their business or if they want to make changes in their lives, we have paid the price. We have spent a fortune to know what we know so that we can help others. And when someone offers you a free consultation like this, It has value. 
and you need to jump on it. So I'm going to be bringing you all the details for this uh, forum, and let's let's see who connects uh, with us uh, when I uh, put it out, so that I can uh, meet some of you guys, and, and you guys can uh, can use the expertise of Nestor to ask all of your questions. Oh man, I'm so excited! I can't wait to talk to people and really just be able to provide some peace of mind. Good deal. Well, Nestor, you have to come back another time because uh, we have barely touched the surface of uh, such an important topic for Latinos is wealth building in America, the richest country in in the world, where by age 65, most people are dead or dead broke. I will be honored and I'm excited and I'm motivated to help our people. I really, truly have uh, no other agenda than to see Nuestra gente move forward. It's it's our time, and um, let's do it. Absolutely. And that's it today, my friends. Uh, until we meet again, go out and have a great uh, week.